while she's on a talk show. And then she has to act like that's normal. So in the very beginning of the book, a kid almost falls into an alligator enclosure. So to stop the kid from being eaten, she jumps in and like acquires Uh the DNA of the alligator, which makes it go to sleep. But everyone's like, disaster girl, she saved this toddler. And then she's allergic to the alligator. So she accidentally turns into an elephant in her house and her house just falls apart. And her dad works in media and she's like, you know what I want to be on is on this TV show where this famous person who's infested by a yerk is going to try to get kids to join the sharing. Okay, you know what, Amy, I just actually realized you can totally talk about Animorphs a ton in the next series. Oh, it's so true. Yeah. But maybe for now we should stick to a lot of the lines. Welcome to Tortal Recall, the podcast where we reread the Tamara Pierce books and yell about them. My name is Abby, and my pronouns are she, her. My name is Amy, and my pronouns are she, her. My name is Aurora, and my pronouns are she, her. My name is Gus, and my pronouns are they, them. And we are back to discussing Lioness Rampant, which, actually, now that I think about it, not sure we said the title in the last episode, but that's what <laughs> oh, we were God. talking about. <laughs> Whoops. They're not going it's to fine. know which book we're referring to. There's no I way think to they'll know. figure it out. Oh, yeah. Our listeners are smart. There's no way to tell. We didn't have It's clues. not like it's in the title of the episode or anything. What if they think we're talking about, like, Animorphs number 12? <laughs> well. The reaction? <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, we're not... Despite all appearances, I'm sure we're actually not talking about Animorphs number 12, the reaction. (laughs) We could if you want. Send us an email. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, but we're back into uh, Linus Rampant, and uh, we left in the middle of Social Justice Corner, so let's get right back into it and talk about queer stuff. Yeah. So... There's a couple of points where Alana like has to pretends to be a boy again, specifically when they join up with Thayet and Burry, and she gets so excited to pretend yeah. to like dress as a boy, and I'm really, it just makes me really happy that she gets to have that time. Well, sometimes she pretends to be a boy, and so like a lot of the time she's just red, like she just dresses the way she wants to and gets red as a boy. Yeah, I like mm-hmm. how comfortable she is now with you know. Like, she can present a bunch of different ways, and she's, like, really comfortable with all of these. So she'll, you know, she she's okay wearing dresses, she's okay, like, with her really beautiful thing that she wears to the, that they get designed, that she wears yeah. to the yeah. presentation of the jewel. Um, oh. No, I think it's wonderful that she's really coming into, you know, herself and doing what she wants in terms of how she portrays herself to the world and like she's really okay with this and yeah i love it to the depths of my heart love it oh yeah Yeah, there was oh you go Gus. i was just going to say there was a part fairly early on when some some woman is flirting with liam Mm -hmm. and alana gets super jealous (laughs) and then we get our first actual reference to queerness in this series that queerness exists reference yeah, and like, what what is what does the woman say? She says like, just like, oh, the boys in love with you. Oh, so the boys in love with you then? Yeah, 
And it's like, wow, I guess this isn't an actual instance of, like, queerness, but, like... Right, no, it's ridiculous that we we have gotten an acknowledgement that boys can be in love with other boys, but not in a situation where that's actually happening. Um, I don't want to be this person, but I did read it as, like, a sort of, like, boys can't be in love with other boys, so I'm going to diminish your emotions by, like, saying this this thing that's, like, an insult to you. I mean, I definitely think it was it was supposed to be somewhat insulting, but Mm -hmm. it was acknowledging that the possibility is there that a boy could be in love with a boy. (laughs) Oh man, yet again, our bar is so low. (laughs) Yeah, like I like I don't know. I kind of read it as like, uh, what are you even? Why would you have a stake in this? Like, let me point out how ridiculous you Mm. sound by saying this. So I don't think this is like a queer championing. You know? (laughs) Yeah, I guess I guess you could read it as like. You know, what, the boy's in love with you? That's totally ridiculous. That would never happen. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and, like, again, I don't want to be that person right now, but, like, also I I don't want to give credit where none is deserved. Absolutely. I can't can't tell. I mean, you know, death of the author, it could Mm -hmm. go either way, but I can't actually tell what she intended there. Same. And I I think regardless of what either the intent is or the outcome is, like, no matter how you're reading it, it's still not... Great. Mm. It, like it, it. No, of course At not. no point is there any sort of like, wow, this is actually a good step. I just like, <laughs> I wanted to point out that it had been yeah, here technically it is. acknowledged. Alana finally learned that queer people exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like someone, I yeah, like I think someone pointed out that Tom is like her twin brother. Who yeah, is, who is like very gay, canonically gay. But oh my that god, doesn't well, mean Alana knows. No. Depending on your definition of canonically. Well, sorry, yeah. extra canonically. Yeah, extra. word of God, meta canonically. Yeah. Yes, but like, I there are a lot of people who don't realize that people in their family are queer. So like, true, but also, oh, yeah. I mean, Fair. as we've me- as we mentioned in the last episode. Everyone in this universe except for John is queer, so Alana's definitely also queer. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I do I have a question about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Liam. Bye. There. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> do you remember when he says uh, they were talking about Roger? Yeah, no, and he, and he said like, that looks he'd off met him to the distance and is like, and I his met eyes him turn once. this yeah. like pale green. I'm like, oh, did you now? And pale green um, is when he's flirting. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I, Liam and Roger have slept together. It's canon. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least the age gap there is it's better. Probably not that much, is it? Yeah, no, I think better. it's probably oh, not. Man. I don't know. I don't know if we have exact information on how old uh, Roger is, but he's not old. He's like 30s. in his 30s, probably, right? Which Liam also is. Yeah, so. as is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can accept that as a ship, honestly, in a way that I can't accept yeah. Tom and Roger. I don't think yeah. it's a good ship, but I can accept well, it. Well, Tom and Roger is, like... Messed up. It's bad, yeah, no, I mean, it's all about Roger just manipulating him. Yeah. Okay, can we talk about, like, the degree to which that is not canon, but the degree to which that is a thing? Tom and Roger? I. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is it at all present in the narrative? I mean, I, what I would say is that um, both actually Tom and Alex have technically, I guess, canon motivation for hanging around Roger without introducing queerness into it. But both of them have, like, very sort of weak reasons for doing that, in my opinion, at least. Like, there's, you know, Tom got um, 
got manipulated into bringing Roger back, but there's no reason that they have to, like, spend all this time together afterwards, but Mm -hmm. they do. You know, Tom says, like, I'm not your keeper or your jailer, but then he and Roger just hang out all the time. And, you know, Tom is not a villain at any point. Like, he's not at any point working with Roger to bring down John or the kingdom or anything. So, like, mm-hmm. I the, the only real, um, like, the only real queerness I, I see there, I guess, in, is that, like, the narrative doesn't make sense if there's not some connection between them. Um, and mm-hmm. same, same with Alex, I think, because you get the motivation, I guess, that he just really wants to duel Alona again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's so much of, <laughs> um, of, you know, Roger saying, like, and you, my squire, what do you get out of this? And, you know, Alex, like, looks him in the eyes really intensely and, like, bows to him and is like, you can guess what I want. Yeah, and, what like, did he want? <laughs> that was so vague. Like, what did he want? Was it, like, power in the kingdom? Was it something else? Like, I don't know. Well, no, I don't think so, because Alex knows that Roger, like, he says later, you know, people like Delia, who are doing this to get power, are gonna be disappointed. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like, I I really did just read it as, like, a weird sort of, like, almost queer, but not brave enough to be queer, and also, like, messed up, sort of. Yeah, I mean, ugh. I don't know, if you, if you just, if, like, if you take out... The idea that Roger is, I guess, manipulating these young man- men in a romantic way, then it, the narrative just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah, but, like, at the same time, it is not present in the narrative. Right, no, it's not explicit right. there. Right. But it's subtext. Yeah. But it's, like, also yeah. very weak subtext. Like, if I had gone into this uh, without knowing that, like, all of this stuff was happening behind the scenes because of you guys, I wouldn't, <laughs> like, I might have, it probably would have flown over my head. Like, I would have thought, like, mm-hmm. the Alex thing was weird, and I would have been like, that's a really bad motivation for Tom. I don't understand why she's making him do this. But I would have assumed it was, like, you know, not great writing yeah. or something. Right. Yeah, I mean, I will say, like, I don't, know that there's really a lot there in terms of, like, explicit canonical facts, but reading this as a kid, I did read Roger and Tom as queer. Like, I got that. So there's something there that mm-hmm. indicates it. I, I guess the one thing that I noticed was um, George is talking to Tom about his powers or something, and he says, like, does your friend know? Meaning Roger in a way that is kind of, like, innuendo-filled, I felt. So, you know, there's mm-hmm. a, like there's a little bit there, but not much. Um, we should clarify for any listeners who do not know, Tamara Pierce has said in interviews or yeah. something, mm-hmm. um, interviews, etc., that, um, that in early drafts or early versions of the book, um, Tom and Roger were in some sort of relationship and also that Roger is or was in an early version bi. Yeah, specifically Tom is gay and Roger is bi or was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we've been referring to Roger as being as being queer-coded and we may have referred to him as being like a, a gay-coded villain. Yeah, I think we did that some amount. And I think we also somewhat discounted um, the, uh, the idea that he could have had a relationship with Delia based on his queer-coding, which... If he's bi, he definitely could have. And I think actually Tamara Pierce has mentioned that 
Did she do that in the book? I can't remember. Yeah, it was in the book. Yeah, that they they were lovers. So mm-hmm. yeah, it just like said in the text. It was like Delia, who had been Roger's lover, and I was like, there. This was not in the earlier books. That text was not there, but sure. But sure. Also, it's uh, yeah. Every relationship Roger could like potentially have is disgusting to me. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> well, he's a bad person. Right? Yeah, he's terrible. But also, the only people he hangs around with are significantly younger than he yeah. is, and like very mm-hmm. easily manipulated, which mm-hmm. I don't love. Yeah, he is a villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like, I there are villain love interests that I can buy. Um, okay, but like, you know, a significantly older man who like. I mean, I buy it. Like, I don't ship him with anyone, but I I completely buy him as, you know, this very queer-coded villain who has, you know, I guess basically seduced all these young people into following him. Oh, yeah. I think Mm. that I misspoke there. I think what I meant to say was more of a, there are villains where I can, like, the relationships are things where I'm like, that makes sense. Or not that makes Mm -hmm. sense, but, like, it makes sense that you would want to see more, like, that you would want that dynamic and, like, Like, you're saying that you ship it. Like, there are villain relationships that you ship and you don't ship any of these. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just... This is this is not a thread that's going to take us anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thread is, do you ship this? And the answer is no. Right, but like you're so, you're not like why would anyone sh- like I don't know why that's even a thing to talk about. You no, know, just just like the you know it squicks me a lot, and that's I guess <laughs> that's what I was going to say. This was about me. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's a, a reaction that's very, you know, supported by the narrative, because even if you don't really read them as queer relationships, obviously, Roger's relationship with both Tom and Alex is very manipulative and harmful and leads to both of their deaths. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so any other queerness stuff? Um, Alana has a big crush on Thayet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yes. Oh, yeah. Galapagos. Of course. Her breath caught in her throat when she saw Thayet all dressed Aww. up. At oh one point, God. there's a line that's just, Alana had other plans for Thayet. And I'm just like, what are those plans? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's great. Not much more mm-hmm. to say about that, except Alana's super queer. <laughs> big, giant crush. Mm-hmm. Yes. Nice. I just feel really bad about Alex and Tom all the time. <laughs> just all the time. Oh, man. Alex was, like, like he was, like, such a, like, like, he was very, like, cold and, like, I don't know. I, I want to say, like, a jerk in this. I love him so much. <laughs> like, every scene he was in. I know. I love, like, there's not really a big reason to love him in this book specifically, but, yeah. gosh, I love hmm. him. I don't know. Just like they they've got the like villain plotting scene with the little villain squad and yeah. everyone's all like um I don't know, upset about their plans failing and then Alex is like, I told you guys not to do it. Like <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should have mentioned this back in feminism, we can cut it out, but I wanted to um while we're talking about the villains, bring up that one moment when um uh Delia and whatever the other one's name is. Josiane. Josiane, thank Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, decided to, like, mean girls at Alana. (laughs) Wait, I have thoughts about this that are related to Social Justice Corner, though, which is, like, after that interaction, which lasted, like, a minute, 
Alana <laughs> goes to Miles and Raul and Gary and is just like, so she's crazy, right? Yes. Like, Josephine yes. is literally yeah. crazy. And like, okay, she does stuff later, but like, it just really bothered me. Well, also, I'm not super into to the general portrayal of Josiane as just like, right, like literally insane. Like she, yeah. she's an axe murderer at the end. She literally has an axe. Yeah, yeah. I strongly disagree with that in general. I strongly <laughs> disagree with the fact that she like shows up for a second and then Alana's just like, I don't know, I just got crazy vibes. And also yeah. earlier in the book, it's like, jo- it's from John's perspective for like a minute. And he's like, mm-hmm. Josiane didn't really get the, per- get the message that he was tired of her. It took a while. Right. Yeah. No, I like her motivation is like, ooh, she's the crazy ex girlfriend because John rejected her and now she's like obsessed with bringing him down. But uh, right, like then we, when we get John's POV, he's just like, I tired of her quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Which does not cast him in a sympathetic light. <laughs> well, most things don't cast John in a sympathetic uh, light. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, it just like I don't know. It just like really bothered me that that was yeah. even a point of her like of her villainy. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah right. i think um these book this this book in particularly in in particularly in particular brought up insanity a few different times and i think the most um the most upsetting one probably is um with josie ann mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and they're like you know her family like produces a mad one every generation like there's a lot of inbreeding there's bad blood yeah in that family it's just all really bad yeah it's mm-hmm. not good stuff just just some bad stuff i think it's uh also really interesting i guess this could go in the spoiler section but i'm not i'm gonna be vague about it um you know we're gonna we're gonna see a lot more of the copper isles in the future mm-hmm. and i think that uh it, it it's interesting how that's set up here i guess um, mm-hmm. even though I guess unintentionally, but right, it's, it's not, even when they're extremely villainous for the most part, it's not great to have, or especially then, it's not great to say, every couple generations, one of them just turns out crazy. It was every generation, actually. Okay. But yeah. yes. It just, it was really messed up, and mm-hmm. I did, it kind of brought me out of it, I, and like, I don't... You know, mental health. It's important to talk about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It is. I think we should bring up, I think we should mention the other couple times that it's brought up. Yeah. I do want to say, like, we're, we're using words like crazy and insane a lot here. Because yes. that's what the book does. Those are not the terms that are great to use to refer to actually mentally ill people. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, do you want to bring up more stuff, Gus? Yeah, just a couple things, um, which is that... Roger is referred to as being insane mm-hmm. post sleep or you know after having been brought back from the dead there you know mm-hmm. he's had like a bit of a personality change he acts very differently mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and you know his motivations aren't particularly clear yeah they never really explain what his plot is other than i guess just to destroy the country yeah which maybe maybe that's it um yeah yeah. But right, I mean, he's still, given that he got his titles reinstated, he presumably is still second in line for the throne, so he could go mm-hmm. for the throne, but, um, mm-hmm. right, they, they've just sort of got this idea of, like, ooh, he's crazy now, so he's just wants to wreak havoc, I guess. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. And then the, the other one that's been brought up, actually, as a sort of a through line throughout um, all of the books, I don't know if it's been mentioned in every single one, but it seems to have been, um, is that... 
um, Alana has mentioned a few times that, like, insanity runs in her family. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And it's been brought up in a couple, like, lighthearted ways. Like, I think mm-hmm. she's referred to it when she's talking about, like, why she decided to, you know, disguise herself as a boy. <laughs> right. She usually brings it up, like, in reference to her doing something you know, incredibly out of the norm or risky or mm-hmm. brave. Or like unconventional. Yeah. I yeah. think she's she mentioned it once or twice in relation to Tom. Um, and obviously, like, I think it was initially brought up about, like, her father. So I don't really know how to read that other than it's just, like, it's kind of, kind of, kind of some bad stuff in there. Yeah, a little iffy. It's not nuanced. Yeah, and as long as we're talking about this, I think we kind of skated over it in our last few episodes when we talked about Woman Who Rides Like a Man, but there was also definitely a narrative in that book of, you know, the the old power-hungry mm. shaman, quote-unquote, going mad, you know, yes. and attacking Alana for that reason. So mm-hmm. it, the fact that it's come up with multiple different villains is not the best. No, it's bad. Yeah, okay. I think the thing that bothers me is that they use the term insanity and crazy as a value judgment. Yes. And that's what I don't like about this. Mm -hmm. Because it's not. It's just a thing. Right. Well, and repeatedly the idea is like you go crazy and then you just want to destroy things, I guess, Mm -hmm. mostly. Because that's what, you know, because the shaman attacks Alana and then Josie Ann starts axe murdering and Roger changes his goal from becoming king to just wreaking havoc. So yeah, it's not a good narrative. Yeah. No. Uh, But I guess let's keep moving. Yeah, we can we can move this insanity section so that it's not in our queerness section. Well, yeah, let's let's say that we had transitioned to a different mental health section. This was not part of our queerness section. This was a separate issue. Also, this is entirely unrelated to to either queerness or mental health. But I just would like to mention that I'm very pleased that um, that Roger's amateur jewelry making came back at the climax. (laughs) Continued to be relevant throughout. I'm delighted. You know, it has been since the first book we've seen Roger's amateur jeweling <laughs> and his jewelry. It's been an important plot point. Yeah. Of course it would come back. <laughs> then a beautiful thematic through line. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to race. Let's start with Shang, I guess. Yeah. Sure. Liam Arnar. <laughs> so, they're called the Shang. He's the dragon of Shang. The unarmed combat that he teaches Alana is karate. Like, it just is. Yeah. Well, it's martial arts. It's martial, martial arts. We, we aren't sure which one. No, it's karate. I took karate as a kid, and it's like the... Like, you know, she she learned a sort of more, like, Western style of punching as a knight, and then, like, the like what Liam describes as, is described as teaching her is literally how to punch... As if you were doing karate. Okay. I'll buy that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not, like, it is definitely a martial art, and it is definitely, like, an East Asian style of fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, they call, he's called the Shang Dragon. Right. And it is ridiculous that that would be a white man. Quite. Yeah, and I think, I think this is corrected somewhat in later books, but as of now... Well, I and Wildcat's borderline. I remember her description being that she's white. I don't remember what the actual description is. But certainly, 
Uh, her just this is like very vaguely remembered from Kel actually. Wiry. So spoiler, Amy the Wildcat Ten. returns. Oh no, she's <laughs> in the first book. I know. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But right. Yeah. I, I I can't swear to the fact that she's white, but um, right. Definitely, we're getting a really Asian coded culture with a fair number of white people in it. Yeah, and like yeah. a clumsily Asian. Can we refer to the Shang as a culture? They're definitely an order. Sorry, I just want to be. No, I was just saying, and it's like Does someone had like a train whistle going on in the background. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Gus, you'll probably get that same train in. Oh, nice. I don't <laughs> think I can hear trains from me from where okay. I am. Actually, oh, I'm by nice. the lake. You're both in the same city. Yeah. yeah. Aurora, you should come visit my cat sometime, even though you're allergic. Can I? Mm-hmm. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. We'll <laughs> yeah. do. Okay. Excellent. Anyway. Shang. Cat. Wild cat. I yes. feel like the Shang are like, uh, the whole time I was reading the previous three books, I was like, wow, what a clumsy way to Asian code someone. But at least she's doing it without saying the thing she said in Hand of the Goddess. And then it turns out that this is a redhead with uh, color changing blue eyes. So like, it's feasible that he could be like, mixed race but i think he's just white I mean, there's yeah. certainly no indication in the book that he is mixed race yeah. every descriptor that we get is one that you would expect to find on a white person mm-hmm. yeah and right like, i mean this re- is related i think to the fact that the um i mean we did as you mentioned uh master Saicham appears in this book again he was referred to mm-hmm. in the previous book as or uh, a couple books ago as the yellow man so we assume that he's asian but um you know, the Mithrin priests as an order are also coded as somewhat Asian, I think. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, that's like the main religion in Tortal or one of the main religions. So there's certainly a fair number, I think, of Mithrin priests who are not Asian. And like, you know, Tom studied with them and he's not Asian. Right. Right. But this is the Shang dragon who is like the oldest surviving Shang warrior in 300 years. The oldest surviving Shang dragon. Yeah. The oldest sur- okay. I mean yeah. cuz he's he there there have been multiple dragons. I mean the wildcat is older than him. Oh, yes. Okay. It's just that the mythical beasts and especially the dragons, right, don't tend to live long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cuz cuz right, they're the the best ones, I guess, so they have a target on them. But like he's literally the best of the Shang warriors, you know, <laughs> yeah. and he's a white guy. Yeah. Which like uh, you know, in a in a sort of Watsonian sense, if the Shang are an order who take kids from all over the world, like anyone who wants to come and train, who they right. think does well enough, it makes sense that they would be a racially diverse group. But mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. a great look to have this very Asian-coded culture and fill it with white people. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. It's just, it was so jarring yeah. for me, honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the Khmer. I think, I mean, they're not perfect, but I, I think, you know, in in a lot of ways, the Khmer are what the Bazir should have been, I guess. Huh. Um, because, mm-hmm. you know, they're a, a group of tribes who are not white being oppressed under white colonial rule, or I assume that Thea is described as having very light skin and looking like her dad. So I assume that the, the monarchs of Serene are white, but we don't, I guess, actually know that. I didn't read them as white, but also I, I read there as being mm-hmm. a racial dynamic going on, but it wasn't specifically white oppressors. I don't, I don't read Thea as white, but I don't know if I'm meant 
two. I know she's... Well, right. That's something we can talk about. So she... I mean, we know that she's biracial. Her dad is a, a mm-hmm. serene lowlander and her mom right. is Kamir. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she says that she looks like her dad, which includes having a strong hooked nose and very light skin. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But we never actually get a description of any lowlander sarin uh people i don't think so mm-hmm. we don't really know if they're intentionally supposed to be white right mm-hmm. the Khmer are clearly not white yes right. i just i think it's i think it's worth pointing out that okay how do i phrase this let's see that historically and also contemporarily there is racial and cultural oppression that happens that doesn't involve whiteness and when we consistently just infer that all narratives around race involve whiteness then we are centering whiteness again in some ways Mm -hmm. does that make Mm -hmm. sense yeah that makes total sense yeah that's a good way to put it and that i think there's like a very specific type of racial oppression that is perpetuated by white people, but that that is not the be all end all. Right. Yeah. No. And it's certainly the Khmer are, you know, an ethnic group being oppressed under colonial rule by another ethnic group. Mm-hmm. But um, that is true whether or not Sarans are fantasy white. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I don't actually, you know, we mentioned this earlier, the, um, the comment about countries being cut from the same cloth, I think that was just Mm. Marin and Toussaint and Tortal and maybe Tyra. Right. Um, I don't think it was. So, so, right. I don't think that was Serene. So that, that could actually be a point against them being white, but I, you know, I don't think we have the information to interpret in the book. Yeah. So I did, I wondered, so at some point, I don't remember who said this, but someone said that, like, the Khmer, the Bajir, and, like, the... Oh, the Doi, Doi yeah. tribes people were all uh, related to some extent. Maybe had some common ancestry. Yeah, which I feel like might even point to this kind of wider colonial narrative mm-hmm. in which we have a lot of people that were perhaps, uh, like over a long period of time, like, increasingly marginalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Including all of these groups. Yeah. Although there is, like, an interesting sort of crossover, I think, because the um, I at least read the um, the doi as coded more Asian or, like, maybe Tibetan than, um, mm-hmm. than black, whereas the Bajir have mostly been, you know, Arab, North African. So those are, those are different groups that... She's saying are related. <laughs> yeah, it's also like I guess you know the um, the doi are perhaps fantasy Asian as an ethnic group. I w- we also like we know that um, Master Sai Cham is fantasy Asian, but we don't know what his actual ethnic group is. Like we've never received any indication that he's not Tortolan, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like she didn't really think out the the race dynamics of this world very well. You know, now that you bring that up, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, I mean, I like back to what I was saying. I guess, um, like in a lot of ways, the Khmer are what I think the Bazir should have been because they are this ethnic group that's being oppressed, and we see them 
not, you know, I mean, from Alana's point of view, but not from the point of view of the oppressor group, we see, you know, like, we get Burry and Thayet's story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as members of the oppressed group. And we, we see, you know, they, they've they had really unfair legislation placed on them. They specifically mention that they're not allowed to, like, assemble in groups, which is, you know, a real <sighs> thing that oppressed people have had to deal with. Mm-hmm. And that's shown mm-hmm. as really unfair, as opposed to, you know, with the, uh, the Bajir, the narrative was so much... Like, wow, can't the imperialists and the people they're oppressing just get along? <laughs> <sighs> mm-hmm. We're making some faces. Yep, so many faces. Yeah. So, right, I mean, the the Khmer are probably not perfect. Right. But, you know, we get good, interesting characters that are Khmer, especially Burry, who's perfect in every way. Yes. Um, ah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and this is the first time that we've, I guess, heard about colonialism and imperialism as a thing that is bad. And like, you know, we hear about it from the, these members of the oppressed group, which I think is a great step forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I don't really appreciate that it, you know, the amount that it's set up as like, again, you know, Alana leaves Tortal and finds this horrible, impre- oppressive empire that's totally not like Tortal, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it still doesn't acknowledge that this stuff is happening in her country, but it's definitely a step forward to acknowledge that it's not mm-hmm. good that this is happening. Yeah, and it does allow us to extra-textually draw parallels between what is happening to the Khmer and what is happening to the Bashir. Mm-hmm. So, not good enough, but the, the the story about Thayet's mother is just like oh. I love her. I She's love her. so cool. Mm-hmm. The line Burry said about like um, you know, my mother and brother are buried at Callison's right and left hands. The warlord will lie in his tomb alone. Oh. Just the coolest. Wow, I love mm-hmm. all of them. Yeah. Anything else about the Khmer other than Callison is the best? <laughs> Cool that it's recognized that they have their own language. I'm glad that was there. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, that was yes. great. It makes so much more sense than whatever is happening with the Bazir. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, su- super cool that, what is it, Thayet mentioned that the Khmer tribes also were led by women, which is mm-hmm. neat. Yeah. yeah. And the, it's clearly just a part of their society that yeah. women fight too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great, you know, <laughs> rather yeah. than in the last book where um, Alana came into the Bajir society and they seem to have basically the same opinions on women as um, Tortal. Like, it's nice to see a different culture with different gender dynamics. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, that was nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, other race things. I have one race thing. Yeah! <laughs> Um, the epilogue takes place when Alana goes back and visits uh, mm-hmm. the Bloody Hawk tribe. We hear from none of mm-hmm. the actual members of the Bloody Hawk. We don't get an update on Kara and Kurum, <sighs> which I, when she went back, I was like, yes, we get to see what Kara and Kurum are doing. They're not mentioned. <laughs> yeah. That's extremely disappointing. Boo. And really, <laughs> every time they mention the Bajir, it's just kind of this in passing, like a, yep, still part of the Bajir. Mm-hmm. Right, and yeah, the, the like, they're, you know, there there's like groups of like young boys and young girls practicing riding or mm-hmm. whatever, but like we don't get to know about them as characters. We did see, oh mm-hmm. yeah, and Rawl is 
explicit. Yeah, yeah he's he's explicit. also been adopted into a tribe. Come on, Raul. Yeah. yeah. Come on. I believe <laughs> in you. Yeah, really? <sighs> and we see a lot of the Bajir have come and joined the king's own. Yeah, which is interesting. I don't really I don't really know how to how to read that. We can maybe maybe analyze that more in the future. I'm not sure, but right. I mean, it, to some extent, it, like it could be read as them assimilating into the the culture of Tortal. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, maybe it's a good sign that they can get this like fairly prestigious mm-hmm. position. And like if mm-hmm. um, if Jonathan and Raul have been like specifically recruiting them for the King's Own, that could be as part of an effort to sort of like. To, like... You know, to, to give them, like, opportunities in Tortolan culture rather than just, like, being very racist towards them, which is what we saw in, like, the first book, you know, that all mm-hmm. Tortolans, I guess, were just pretty racist towards the Bajir. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. It's hard to interpret. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to say something about how, like... I don't know. It being included in the military of an oppressive government is not progress necessarily Mm -hmm. but i don't really have anything more than that yeah yeah i did want to mention i guess just really quickly um that when alana's talking about the sorceress from the last book who we know was from a bajir tribe but went to live in a village because she wanted to do magic she actually Mm -hmm. calls her a shaman which i thought was a weird choice given that all the information we have about that is that it's a religious role in a tribe and not just a bajir person who does magic. Mm-hmm. That was odd. Oh, and the other thing that was, like, racialized language that I wasn't super into was that, you know, Alana duels a couple people and then she asks Gary about them and he says one was Gollin and the black was Karthaki. Yup. So don't uh... talk about people's race in that way. <laughs> Nope. Uh-huh. That's Ugh. that's not the part of speech that you use that as. Nope. That is nope. an adjective. Don't call a person an adjective. Oh. Yeah. Like. Uh. So, yeah. I mean, not much to say about that other than it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, she's got to stop with the color words, she's I think. She's got to stop with the color words. She doesn't know how to use them. Nope. No. Um, I have a... Do 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 what? Nice. <gasps> what? <laughs> you can cut that out if we're not allowed to take their sound bites. <laughs> no, I think, and we can give credit, like which please, but which but, please, you know, we love them. Uh-huh. Um. Uh. Well, this is. I. I want to get y'all's thoughts on, <clears throat> like, opinions on this, but I thought there was some coding done. In so, do you remember when Miles had that um, Sirajit agent? Yeah. Go and track down um, Rallone mm-hmm. uh, or Claw. Um, and the way he's described is, like, very, very, like, kind of stereotypically um, kind of Semitic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't, I didn't really know how to read him, like, ethnically when I read the book. But, but when you say that he's coded Semitic, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so... Can you point to... Yeah. Sure. They talk about... The only descriptor that they use for him is he's a little man, oh. um, and he's nearsighted, and they specifically mention 
that he did some like very extensive accounting of his expenses, hmm. which are like all like you know not great ways to right. be the only descriptors you use for someone. Right, and that yeah, I guess he's like well paid is another yeah, thing they mentioned about him, and that he was very smart. Yeah, and also just like the the fact that um, it, I guess we're we're meant to assume that Sirajit or whatever it is is um his ethnicity, but that's not one that I've ever heard of. Like that's not a country or a nationality. Right. It's not a country that we hear of. Right? Yeah. So so we don't really have a lot of context to interpret that word. Uh-huh. But this was, I guess, perhaps the first yeah. bit of kind of, uh, did you say Semitic coding? Uh, that we would have encountered on these books. Yeah, yeah I, um, I haven't. I don't remember. I, don't I really know. wish it hadn't relied so heavily on stereotypes. Though. Yeah. Fun. Um, Fun how that happens. Um, there, we act, we actually had a, um, got a tweet from a listener, uh, a while back. This was back after, like, some of our second book episodes came out or something. So, mm-hmm. I didn't really know what to do with it then. Um, but Twitter user Mosslam, um, mentioned that they had not seen, that they, they had not noticed any specific, um, Jew analogs. So I'm mm-hmm. curious as to what um as to what they think of that and as to what our other listeners think. Yeah, no, I would love to hear from our listeners on this. Yeah. I also think you you could potentially make an argument for Alex as being yes, a, that a was, Semitic analog. That was actually the other part of the tweet was that um was that this person had read Alex as being Semitic. Mm-hmm. Being coded as like dark Right, not not explicitly being a different racial group, but constantly mentioned that he's sort of othered and, and right, constantly described as dark. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's interesting. Thanks for bringing that up, Aurora. I will also note that there was a connection uh, with the, the sorceress who left the Bajir and went to live in Hill Country, was specifically mentioned as living near Tirigan, which is Alex's hometown. Ah. So that was oh, interesting yeah. as well. Interesting. Um, oh, and the, okay, so, so one other thing, which... I don't, I I just want to put out there is that um, in the scene where everyone's getting introduced, you know, uh, Thayet and Alana and Liam are all getting presented at court. Uh, George is there and he's in disguise as a Bajir. Oh. Was he in blackface? <laughs> oh. I want to say no. I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> but how, Yeah. How else is he? Did they mention his skin color at all? I feel like he was only ever referred to as tan. They didn't. They didn't explicitly mention it. Please, listeners, if you have noticed anything, please let us know so that we can thoroughly condemn it. It's Wait, as an imperialist nation, Tordal could have the same problem with whitewashing as we do? And maybe I mean, even if they, they don't, just... they it's like clearly a problem that we have in our culture, <laughs> so it's not an okay mm-hmm. thing to put in a book. But I'm just yeah. saying, maybe George isn't doing blackface. Maybe he just like is wearing the mm-hmm. clothes, and no one knows what a real Bajir looks like. <laughs> I mean, maybe there are a <laughs> lot of Bajir in the capital at this point. I will do mm-hmm. whatever mental gymnastics it takes for me to not have read and enjoyed a book with blackface. <laughs> 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 oh. I mean, that's not. We should probably acknowledge the flaws rather than doing mental gymnastics around them. <laughs> but also, I mean, like you know, the Bajir like do live under imperial rule in Tortal, uh, so like you know, it's not 
unreasonable to assume that there are probably people of mixed race and various skin tones. Yeah. And actually, this is the thing. I don't, I don't think I've noticed, and I've been trying to pick up on this. I've been trying, trying to keep my eyes open for this. Um, I don't think I've actually noticed any descriptors used for the Bajir in terms of like skin color. I mean, we've like, I think we've definitely been reading them as being people of color. And I also think that that is not unreasonable. Um, because of the way that they're so heavily coded. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's a fantasy world. Who knows? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember any descriptions of them specifically as having very dark skin. Mm -hmm. So, right. I I think that clearly we can read them as people of color, but we don't know exactly what they look like. I wanted to bring it up. Mm -hmm. It seemed like Mm -hmm. a weird omission, but I think it's just pretty easy to chalk up to, um, Tamara Pierce not being good at writing about race. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, so I have one more sort of thing that's related to imperialism. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's back on the topic of the Dominion Jewel. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess specifically what I wanted to say about the Dominion Jewel is that uh, the scene where, you know, Alana goes to take it and, they, and talks about the fact that, like, she... she stops trying to take it at some point and says, like, well, when you think about it, all of these heroes have stolen it. (laughs) This is literally stealing. Is this stealing? Yeah. (laughs) And then after she says that, the mountain range guy, Chitral, does give it to her. So that kind of, like, dispenses the issue. (laughs) There you go. Uh, I do, I like kind of on the same lines of imperialism that so chitral is he's an elemental and he's like yeah. yeah i think like the essence of time and he's kind of he, no not above all this but like it makes it more reasonable for us to be critical of the gods because they are mm-hmm. like you know they're just like people that live forever mm-hmm. um and there's you know things like the elements and our very cool friend Chitral, who do not do the same kind of, um, you know, helping meddling uh, empires yeah. be in terrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then you know the jewel is, of course, I guess his. Yeah, Maybe I mean, he made it. It comes back to he him. He made it, and right, it comes back to him, and then heroes come and uh, steal it. Exactly he made it because he wants friends. <laughs> <laughs> he wants people to visit, which, like, a good way to do that would not be to live on top of Fantasy Mount Everest, but whatever floats your boat, my guy. It's, at least I can because it's called Chitral Pass, I kind of read it as, like, he is the mountain, or he's tied to the mountain in essence in some way. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he's an elemental, I'm not sure he necessarily, like, could just go, like, live in a city if he wanted to. Yeah, we don't know what rules he Yeah, I he mean, has. this is... Yeah. This is related to my specific reading of Chitral, so... Which I am not going to back down from. Which is that he's exactly what he's presented as in in the book. Okay. You mean an ape with a sword? (laughs) He's just lying about all the other stuff. They say explicitly in the book that, like, Alana could tell that this is just a form he was taking. Maybe. So I think your reading is wrong. Alana thinks that she's not magic. She's very cold. Alana (laughs) thinks. And also, Alana thinks that she herself, like, for books, she thought that she wasn't particularly magical. (laughs) I think that we have an unreliable narrator, and I think that this is an ape with a sword. (laughs) (laughs) But Amy, he controls the weather. (laughs) Don't we? 
He's oh my god. <laughs> he's an ape with a sword who is. He has like three points of characterization, right? He's lonely. He's an ape with a sword, and he's really he re- he's really into art for its own sake. He really appreciates beautiful art and beautiful magic for its own sake specifically. Yeah. And it makes him sad that Alana probably was thinking about function over form when she made yeah. her sword. Guys, <laughs> yeah, I was reading through this book, and there's a character that's just an ape version of that lobs of those crabs that grab knives. Okay, that's so far from true. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, Amy is like crying. Yeah, <laughs> it's an ape. She has to find an ape with a. <laughs> that's her like that's the big climax of this one. I mean it's also not because it happens in the middle <laughs> that's the big center of this book that's like the main end of the definitive jewel quest okay Okay, we can. I'm gonna be laughing. You guys can like silence my mic for the next five minutes. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, so ape with a sword aside, um, you know, I do think that I I like the commentary on hero and quest narratives and how they're basically like about going out and plundering stuff, you mm-hmm. know, and Alana does ultimately end up doing that because she gets the Dominion jewel but she she has a moment at least where she thinks about like oh yeah that's what stealing is <laughs> which is nice to see <laughs> uh, very good mm-hmm. everything about it is absurd <laughs> I love it so much yeah this oh, is when time. I decided this is a very good book series <laughs> well I'm glad you enjoyed it thank you Okay, so do you remember the story? This is with regard to kind of the imperial, the jewel and what it can mm. do and the roles it plays mm-hmm. in like wider structures. But do you remember the story about, um, I think her name, Zephram and... Uh, the, Mia- Miyaki. Miyaki? The, She's the thief. Zephram and... Yeah, yeah, the lady. Miyaki. Zephram yeah. was the mercenary yeah, who yeah. pulled her out of a river. Anyway, so she steals the jewel. And then they go to Tyra, which was then like... A city that was fit for thieves, you know, mm-hmm. apparently, like, not described as not a pleasant place to be. And then they got the jewel, and birds started nesting there, and lots of people started moving back into the city. And I was like, is this gentrification? <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> Just wondering. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> gentrification is when a lot of birds start moving into your neighborhood <laughs> and building nests. No, but I expect, I mean, they described it as, like, you know, somewhere that, well, they described it as, like, a pirate's nest, but I expect it drove property values up. (laughs) And, you know, people who, you know, could have lived there before no longer could. And so even in its most, like, passive, like, form, or not passive form, but this is one of the ways that the, the jewel is reported as having, like, this very positive impact, but perhaps it's not quite as positive it's an, as initially it's mm. portrayed to be. I don't know. I <laughs> I don't think that we're intended to read Tyra as a case of gentrification, but, um, I, I mean, I do think there's some thing, like, well, A, that is kind of what 
gentrification is, is like, <laughs> you know, a bunch of fancier people move into the neighborhood and, you know, make there not be room for the, the poor people who were there originally. And, you know, sell sell the food that those people had originally made at like, you know, a 300% markup and market it as like, I'm sorry, yeah. I'll stop now. Yep. No, <laughs> right. I mean, gentrification, it's bad. Um, I, I don't think that's intentionally what Tyra was, but I can see that, I can see that reading. Um, but right, also, the, like, there are some things that are given to us as just sort of positive attributes that the jewel has, and those include things like, you know, it will help Jonathan be a strong enough ruler to keep Tortal together, as if there was inherent value to Tortal being a country- and being strong in, like, a military sense. I think those are both bad things. Right. Mm. Yeah. Can I share my Slack name here, or is that, like, Please. me telling my own jokes? Um, so when I got to that part in the book, I changed my name in our group chat to maybe the real Dominion Jewel was the countries we colonized <laughs> on the way. And I think that's true. You were wrong. Yeah, I might have to put some of your Slack names on Twitter because I have screenshots of all of them. So good, Amy. Please let us share this. Oh, they're great. Thank you. I'm very funny and also talented. Yes, (laughs) agreed. But yeah, no, I mean, the Dominion Jewel is a tool of conquest, at least Mm -hmm. some of the time. And I think we should acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it reinforces, I mean, especially in the hands of an existing leader like John you know, just reinforces the status quo class-wise and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of class, I thought it was interesting that uh, commoners can be presented at court in Tortal. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that we'll actually we'll see some more of in the future, but it does make Tortal a bit more of a meritocracy than, than perhaps real monarchies ever have been. <laughs> um, in that, like, if you're the Shang Dragon or a very powerful and unique mage that we might meet in the future, and you're a commoner, <laughs> uh-huh. you can, you know, you can show up at court and hang around just because of your skills and not because you have a noble title. Yeah, I think Fayette in particular talks about Tortal in that way. Mm-hmm. So she talks about being very excited to, you know, uh, leave Serene and kind of her uh, her place as a noble and go to Tortal where she can build herself mm-hmm. As a commoner, yeah. As a commoner, exactly. And that assumes that there is, um, that there's the potential for her to do that. Well, we do um, see... And that this is known. Yeah, we do see an instance of class mobility when George, George becomes yeah. a noble. <laughs> because yeah. he's best friends with the king. I don't know how I felt about that. He gets kind of like a My Fair Lady situation. <laughs> <laughs> Then again, is it really moving up for him to move from being a king to being like king. a lord well, or whatever? Yeah, he is. I yeah. mean, uh, as king of the rogues, he has authority over the rogues, but also could be arrested and presumably killed at any time. So, like, uh, okay. you know, he right? There's clearly class benefits that come with being an actual noble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, would you rather be king of Sealand or a congressman of the United States? Counterpoint, sure. either way, he's not going to die because he's friends with John. I mean, yeah. And I do think there's something interesting about one specific king of the rogues and one specific king of the realm mutually supporting each other. That's probably very bad for, you know, the lower classes. That, like, mm. it would be very hard to overthrow either of them because they have the support of the other. Yeah. Turtle's doing great, guys. <laughs> 
So right, I think it's interesting that like it would be really hard for a modern reader to get behind any monarchy that did not have some potential for class mobility because it, we would just see it as, you know, very unfair. Unless we didn't notice. Sure. Yes. I'm right. sorry. I mean, yes, that's true. Please continue with your point. No, that's fair. Yeah. Um, but right, like, you know, if, they, if they're going to have common characters at all, you know, it makes sense that, that she would want to show us, like, here are the ways that they can, like, do well for themselves. Although I do appreciate that with, John, with George, it came with, like, you know, why do you have to make me respectable? God. <laughs> 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 He was so insulted at first. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, right, that presumably that's not so much a feature of real historical monarchies, but it's something that's added so we can feel better about it. If not, great about the kingdom of Tortal. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that the barony or whatever that George gets is called Pirate Swoop for two reasons. One, it implies thieving still, which is great. Yeah. And two, it's the most fantasy name ever. Yes. True. Yes. It's very good. Pirates Swoop. Yeah. Also, it's a thing that pirates probably would do if they could. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because that was some really good uh, Foley work and also like a body comedy. So great work. Great swooping. What's the word? Physical comedy? Yeah. Excellent swoop. Yes. I made a big swoopy motion with my arms and did kind of like a Batman thing or a Dracula thing. I don't know what I was doing. It was good. It was excellent. So let's revive the dead author for just a little bit in Zombie Author. We sure don't do a good job of taking authorial intent out of the rest of this podcast. No, we don't. No, we don't. All right. Well, we already talked about the race stuff. So Right. And and that's something like I I can't really speculate on authorial intent there. Like, I mean, I can, I guess. It really seems like she, like maybe someone talked to her about her position on race in the last book or like she learned a little bit about colonialism but i don't know i think yeah. i mean i mean as as with all things with death of the author there is a point where authorial intent does not matter yeah and a lot of that stuff is when you are writing things that could potentially harm real people right no regardless mm-hmm. of what her intent was obviously her writing of race is harmful mm-hmm. in some ways mm-hmm. i mean right i i do think there was there was some good narratives about uh, imperialism in this book, and there were also some bad ones. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I have something unrelated also to this mm-hmm. that I noticed and just remembered right now, which is that the idea of use of drugging people basically without their permission comes back, and it seems like it's okay if you are drugging someone because they are about very nervous and about to go mm-hmm. to a thing. But if you are drugging someone to regain agency, then it's bad, is what it seems to say. Wait, sorry, what are you referencing? Um, So it's like when she let, apparently she let Faithful like partially spell Liam into not when she goes up to Chitral. And then it becomes like a big thing that is like condemned in a way that George literally drugging her is supported. Mm -hmm. And I have some, like, concerns about that and how that relates to specifically the way Tomorrow Pierce feels about drugging people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's so true that, right, there's a time when Alana is drugged by her love Mm -hmm. interest. And it's, you know, it's like 
supposed to be a cute thing he does, I guess. Like, it's supposed to be acceptable because he does it to calm her nerves. Right, he's like, to her. But when Alana allows the magical drugging of Liam because he would stop her from leaving if she didn't, that's a huge... I mean, I can see, like, you know, any kind of drugging in a relationship is a trust issue. Yeah, Yeah. but it's a different dynamic if you are doing it to regain agency versus someone doing it to take away your agency. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. and they're treated really differently. Like, I'm not saying either is good, but they are different from one another. And Mm -hmm. they're different specifically in the opposite way from how they seem to be treated by the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Which is, like, what... Which is, like, actually a big concern Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. me. And I'm sorry that I didn't bring it up earlier during the social justice portion, but... This is really a social justice rule. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, Yeah, so... And and related to that on, on, like, you know, shaming that kink. Like, she really just leans into the age difference so hard with Liam... Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's less bad to read because Alana is like a grown-up now, thank God. Yeah, she's an adult and she she can form her own opinions better, right? Like she's not going to let Liam push her around. Right. As as we've discussed, she is she doesn't let Liam push her around. Yeah. Well, she meets Liam when they are basically equals. Mm-hmm. Liam doesn't treat them as equals. Right. But they are by that point. But she knows that they are. And I mean, they end up breaking up because, you know, he is not, like, she's really independent. And he specifically lists that as a thing that he doesn't love about her. Mm -hmm. But, like, she's not willing to put up with stuff from him. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that leads to their breakup, which is, you know, fine and good. Hey, um, this isn't the most on topic, but I'd like to mention how much I like the thing Tamara Pierce does where... Um, she writes breakups that happen and then the characters stay friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really nice. I really liked that. <laughs> Although I have to say the line where, you know, Alana was like, well, she was sad about their relationship ending, but she knew their friendship would last a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> that was ironic and beautiful. Uh-huh. That's uh, fun uh-huh. to read <laughs> when you know Liam's yeah. going to die yeah. by the end of the book. But. But I mean that that aside, which that's a great line <laughs> and I love it. There's so yeah. much irony in this book and I love it. There is a lot. Tons <laughs> of stuff about people being dead and never coming back. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But just like with, you know, Alana's friendship with John after they break up is like way better than anything they've had before. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. if I still do not like John. And like yeah. she and Liam after they break up, it's like they're they're friends and it's nice right and they still have you know the good things about their relationship which i you know i thought it was cool that they could relate to each other as being like you know legendary heroes basically Mm -hmm. like that was a cool dynamic and it was one that got to continue even when they weren't romantically involved yeah uh yeah so we're i mean we're not really even doing zombie author right now (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so maybe we should move on to the Queen's Riders and talk about friendship. Yeah. Ah, my best friends Gary and Raoul come home. <laughs> I think I have a full page of notes on Friendship Corner just because nice. there were a lot of things and they were really lovely. Yeah, I've just been like writing little hearts in my book at friendship moments <laughs> and like there were so many. I drew so many hearts. <laughs> Do we get to go through them? Yeah. Yeah, no, just, yes. just say friendship moments. Okay, so when Alana... Sees Raoul mm-hmm. for the first time in a long time. 
apparently there's just a lot of hugging. They spend five minutes of like non-coherent talking <laughs> because they're so excited to see each other. And it was just really wonderful and sweet. They like just hug and yell for like five minutes before they can have rational conversation because they're so mm, excited. It's so good and so realistic. Also, my favorite part of that is that the book calls Ral her large friend. Yes. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Oh, good. He is a large friend, and I love him. He's such a good friend. And okay, so the other the other rule one that I wanted to mention is, um, you know, when she's she's dueling all her old friends just for practice and for fun, and um, she beats Raul really fast and accuses him of not trying, and he says, "Uh, I'm just too used to you beating me. It's hard to change an old habit." <laughs> I, love I love him. him. <laughs> It's very good. Um, yeah, so Raul is really good. Gary's really good and also a big nerd. Big nerd. Yeah, big is. old nerd. He's so interested in all the, like, math that comes with, like, running a kingdom. <laughs> wow. Yeah. He just carries piles of documents around and Alana is horrified. <laughs> <laughs> like, same. I love him. <laughs> My good oh, friends. What a good friend. Uh, when on the side of some of her, um, uh, New female friends. When she gets yes. her ears pierced. Yes. Oh, so good. Oh, it was delightful. I mean, I love that it's just a room full of women. Um, just like being there having a good time laughing at Alana for passing out when she gets <laughs> laughing at her so hard. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, like you know, she's a full knight, but she passes out when her <laughs> she ears comes appears. around and it's like Fayette was just laughing. Just <laughs> laughing, yeah. and then the section ends. It's great. Yeah. I also want to note in that I mean so so Burry and Alana's friendship is the best thing ever in so many ways, constantly. Uh but specifically when um Burry and, and, and Thayette show up and uh, Burry says like, you know, you two need to be fitted for clothes. Good luck. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she is just yeah. so uninterested in fashion. She's so psyched that she gets to wear like just her regular stuff and that her friends have to get all dressed up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think she gets to wear, you know, very fancy Khmer garb, but right, right, she she gets to just wear leggings and stuff, yeah. She already has it. She's comfortable with it. She doesn't have to get fitted for it. Yeah. It's great. But then she she and Alana spend so much time together, you know, riding and and like meeting all of Alana's friends and exploring the palace. Mm-hmm. It's great. And like mm-hmm. exercising. And the, okay, and then when they get in they get introduced at court, and Buri says, like, uh, you know, like, do I do I look okay? And she's all in her Khmer outfit. And Alana says, your mother and brother would be proud of you. Oh. And then Liam says, we're proud of you, too. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> the friendship. It was, it was very sweet. How dare you. Oh. This book should have spent all the time on dumb lying love triangle stuff just with friendship because the friendship moments are very good. They're so They're good. So and, nice. Oh, the friendship yeah. is so good. And when I say this book, I mean like the entire quartet because I have it as one volume. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want anyone to think I just mean this book. I mean every single time. <laughs> uh, I also wanted to give a shout out to Coram for being a great uncle and friend and dad he does and dad yeah he's does some great i mean 
he plays a great role in like all of these capacities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he teaches her to change a diaper. Also, he changed her diapers, which he points out <laughs> all the time. Yeah, and then okay, so when it when she she he teaches her to change the diaper and she f- feels like kind of sad, you know, she's like, "Oh, like I uh, I could have, I, you could have had kids if I, uh, hadn't been here, like, taking up your time. And then he says that he never regretted it because he was busy raising her. Cora <laughs> doesn't get enough dad credit because Miles just comes in and is a fancy new dad with a lot of money and a doctor. And Cora doesn't get enough dad credit. They're both her very good dads. But no one else calls Cora her dad. Okay, but, like, it's pretty clear with, you know, she doesn't even say out loud you could have had kids, and he's just like, oh, I don't have any regrets about not having kids because I was raising you. He's your dad. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. we all know. Yeah, but I want everyone in this book to acknowledge (laughs) that Alana has two dads, and their names are Coram and and Miles, and her other dad did Mm -mm. not do dad stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Miles didn't have a lot to do in this book, but when they were reunited, he did cry a lot, and when they hugged, which was very sweet. It was so good. Also the earrings. Also the earrings. It is very sweet. sweet. He's such a good dad. They're both good dads. She has two good dads. They're both really good dads. Oh, they're so good. Um, a lot of the stuff with Tom is really sad, but also just just... really, really sweet. I, it was so good to get actual interaction between them for one thing. Yeah, right. We haven't for so long. But I mean, I, they reminded us at the beginning of this book that the reason she's called the lioness is because Tom got her a shield with a lioness on it because he supports her dreams. But, there, I mean, there's just a lot of good Tom content, because, like, there's a scene between Tom and Roger where Roger asks, like, do you trust me? And Tom says, no, um, I don't trust anyone. And then Roger immediately says, except your sister. And Tom's <laughs> like, well, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's the meme. The no trust. One, <laughs> one trust. trust. <laughs> yeah, one trust. <laughs> Which, I mean, like, that's the whole tragedy of Tom is that, like, he doesn't have anyone that he can rely on except for Alana. Mm-hmm. And Alana's but, gone. But, like, he loves Alana so yeah. much. Oh. And, right, the other, um, Alana tries to play off Roger by saying, like, you know, there's nothing to forgive. You gave me, you did me a favor. And then he just, Tom just, like, scoffs at her and is like, nice try. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very good sibling interaction. <laughs> oh, man. Animal friends? I have, I have a moment that I loved and I circled and I put a lot of hearts and a lot of like 20 out of 10s <laughs> and it was beautiful. So Moonlight. Yeah. Okay. This is, I think the best line in the book, <laughs> but go for it. So can, can I, can I read it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So after, you know, she drugs Moonlight or uh, she Magic. or magics Moonlight. Not sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, because Moonlight would have broken down the stall to follow her up a mountain. She leaves Moonlight behind. Yeah. And so, she says, there are times in every rider's life when it's necessary to apologize to a horse. But Alana preferred not to have a witness. And then she steals an apple and pets Moonlight and compliments her and tells her what a marvelous horse she is. And then even better, we get a Moonlight point of view moment where a Moonlight checks on her, you know, on Alana's like withers and hooves and flanks just like a horse to another horse and it was lovely and beautiful oh and... it's so sweet that's literally the best moment of animal oh, friendship yeah. we've had so far it's so good i will say in a different horse related moment of animal friendship <laughs> darkness just saves jonathan's life like, True. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i'm glad that that darkness is still here just being jonathan's very emo <laughs> yeah yeah like the horse saves his life. Like, the horse fights a guy with a knife, which 
I think it's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good for pretty a good. horse. It's not as good as Alana apologizing to Moonlight, because sometimes you just gotta apologize to your horse. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, that is the best animal friendship moment in this book. I just, like, figured if we were talking horse moments. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, Jonathan's horse saves his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, Faithful's still upholding the patriarchy, but there were a couple good Faithful moments in this as well. I, I liked, you know, his... um. Death and Starkland. Starkland. liked his death. No, I mean, like, it was an emotionally affecting scene. Yes. Yeah. That, okay, that scene, I didn't remember it having been as violent as it was. It was very violent. It was violent. very yeah. violent. It was not a fun end. I just adopted no. a cat. I have always, like, I've oh, always yeah. been a cat person, so it would have been upsetting anyways, but I just adopted a cat, and he's a small black cat. And it made me very upset to read Faithful dying in that way. That was horrifying. Yeah, no, I'm right. He does it saving yes. Alana. But, like, that was a really upsetting scene to read, and it was, like, very visceral. Like, Yeah. Ugh. Like, and it wasn't even, yeah. like, dwelled on or anything. It was just, like, one sentence, and it was bad. It was bad to read. Ugh. Yeah. Right, it's so, it's so quick at the end there that Alana loses her brother and then her cat and then you know kills alex yeah yeah uh, kills alex and then loses her sword that she was all emotional about in the past but like <laughs> loses her sword i mean i know the sword is like less important than like a person but like it, she just like it's a lot yeah yeah but yeah the, the other faithful thing that i wanted to mention is just uh when they're talking about um bori and how she's like alana as a team mm. And uh, Alana says, surely I didn't think I could beat an entire army single-handed. And Faithful says, you still do, which is pretty cute. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Uh, I also like, uh, who was it? The goddess. Mm-hmm. Apparently is really good buddies with Faithful, which despite the fact that, you know, we don't like Faithful. <laughs> or the it. goddess. Or the goddess. They both enforce the patriarchy too much. They both enforce the patriarchy. But they're they're friends and refer to each other as such. And mm-hmm. it's pretty good. Nice cat friends. Yeah. Okay, wait. If Faithful's not a... Okay, I don't know whether or not Faithful is a normal cat. If Faithful's not a normal cat, then he groups himself like a regular cat and he got set up with a lady cat. So what's going on? (laughs) Secondly, he is a normal cat. He's a warrior cat and he ascended to Starkland. Okay, so I mean, how do you explain him talking to humans? Um, a lot of people project a lot although Leon had like a really scared reaction to it which makes me think several people have yeah but I think like Liam was the first one in a while where I was like oh this is alarming to him mm-hmm. so now I'm just trying to figure out whether like all cats can talk to people and that's why Oli Maktab has so many or like <laughs> if I didn't think it was funny how often Alana by this book is just casually having conversations with Faithful in front of other people. <laughs> yeah, and everybody's just kind of like okay with it. Everybody just lets that happen. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, there's a lot of things that I don't understand about Faithful. Um, but he does, what I'm saying is he does a lot of normal cat stuff. <laughs> so if he's not a normal cat, what's up with that? I mean, I would say that he is a cat for sure, just not a normal one. Yeah, so he still does cat things. He just has extra abilities on top of it. Yeah. I mean, Alana's a very magical human. Faithful's a very magical cat. Okay, so it's the third sibling turned into a cat. (laughs) (laughs) So, like... Not to cut off your your super good fan theories, Amy, but we are, our next segment is the one where you have to leave and we say these things behind your back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Give me a minute. Bye. I'll miss you. 
Uh, so Amy's leaving, and there's gonna be some music, and then there's gonna be some spoilers, and then there'll be some more music. So if you don't want to hear the spoilers, fast forward to the next music. I don't have a lot of stuff, but just like speaking of, which we didn't actually do in this episode, so <laughs> never mind, not speaking of, but there's like so much Pair of the Spares in this oh. book, and then also just like future Pair of the Spares <laughs> with Raul and Burry. Oh, yeah. I, first of all, Raul and Burry is going to happen. I don't think we should discuss it until it happens. Yeah, yeah. we can discuss it when it happens. Because I want to actually reread it first, and also I love it, so I refer to, I refuse to refer to it as Pair of the Spares. Mm. Even though that's uh, what it is. Just in the context of this book, it seems so Pair of the Spares. Yeah. I uh, mean, they've barely met as of this book. But they don't get together true. for like 16 years. I know, it takes, yeah, a lot I love them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the Crooked God <gasps> made an appearance. <gasps> Did, yeah. And it was very brief and very exciting, and I really liked the line that it said that the Crooked God, his smile, as wicked as George's own, I'm like, hey, hey, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're gonna talk about this more. I love him. It was, I love him a lot. I'm excited in general about, like, so we got the Crooked God, and we also got the hat. Yes. Yeah! Oh, the hat. Which is very exciting. Yes. And then, I mean, we also got references to, you know, the Copper Isles on Karthak, mm-hmm. which is just good, like, setup for the future, and I'm really excited to get to those places and see those people. Yes. Oh, man. Okay, I think that's that's, <laughs> that's mostly it. So, so we can call Amy back. It was a quick section. Yeah. When When is Amy going to learn about the cat? Does, is it really going to take all the way until... I mean, are we going to wait until Becca Cooper? But the cat doesn't come back until Becca Cooper anyway, so it's not like we'll be talking about the cat. Yeah. That's true. I mean, it's not like really... There's not like a lot more. There's not a lot more. Yeah. We're back. Hi. With Amy now. Hi. Hey, Amy. So uh, let's move on to Chamber of the Ordeal and rate this stuff. Let's, I guess, start with Animal Friendship. Because ah! we talked about uh, that recently. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. <laughs> good out of ten. I still think I, there's there's a there's a long way to go up from here yeah. that I'm aware of. So I think like curving my scale with that in mind, I'd say maybe just like a five out of ten or a six out of ten. Maybe I'll go with a six out of ten. I give it a six and a half because it was just I love the horse. <laughs> That, I mean, that interaction with Moonlight is, was just the best. I'm not even a horse person, and I still loved <laughs> it. So, like, yeah, I think I might go with a steady 6 out of 10. I feel like it's, like, disrespectful to Faithful to not give this a high ranking for Faithful <laughs> literally dying for his friend. I'm okay with disrespecting him. That's true. He's, he's a misogynist. Very, he supports the patriarchy. Yeah. yeah. Faithful is really the character who I think has suffered most on this reread yeah. for me because as a kid, he was an awesome magical cat mm-hmm. friend. And now he's a magical cat friend who enforces the patriarchy and asks her when she's going to get married. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's true. I'm going to give this like an 8 out of 10, though, because I don't know what animal stuff is going to happen next. So yeah. I'm going mm-hmm. off of my own thing. And also there were other horse moments like Alana just like would reminisce about jumping over a gorge with her best friend friend moonlight <laughs> that was pretty good too we didn't even mention that earlier yeah. uh okay but let's talk about nostalgia readings i would give this honestly a 10 out of 10 for nostalgia this is the just in terms i know i, I know this is 100 because i'm just coming off of the previous three books 
<laughs> yeah. And it's so very different in terms of like my reaction to them. It just feels like a very drastic leap into um, what I just really feel is like classic Tamara Pierce. Like, this is the stuff I'm here yeah. for. We get Thayette, we get Burry. I love them both. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I'll give it a, a 9 out of 10, largely for Thayette and Burry showing up, but also just, I mean, the, the good friendship in general. Alana being incredibly powerful and yes. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. No, and yeah, same. I mean, uh, Tom feelings, Alex feelings. It's a, I mean, it's good stuff. Give it a nine or yeah. ten. So many feels. I'd probably also give it like an eight or nine. It was there was, I had a good time reading it. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't have nostalgia for it. So can my rating just be Did Amy cry? Yes. Sure. Yes, she did. <laughs> <laughs> good rating. Solid. Yes, I'm Amy. I'm sorry. We have a whole rating system that you are. <laughs> from so feel free to say whatever you want okay. going off the last two episodes it's everyone rates it on nostalgia and amy makes up her own different rating that changes at, <laughs> at her whim yes so that works <laughs> all right what's amy feeling cry <laughs> <laughs> okay good and uh who would you all recommend this book to okay i would say i would recommend it to pretty much anyone who wants to who you know can read adult romance like complicated romantic relationships and like sexual relationships Mm -hmm. but i I, honestly i would tell people to just read this book and not not start with the rest of the series like start with a different tamara pierce series but like you can just you can read this book as a standalone i think so i would recommend it widely right especially if you're reading it as a prequel you know so like you've read the other stuff and you're going back and filling stuff in Mm mm-hmm um, I similarly would recommend this to, like, slightly older audiences because of, you know, the maturity. Of- right, not, like, middle graders. Yeah. Um, and it would, you know, just, it's nice for audience to have slightly more, you know, experience and experience with media so they can really engage with it fully. So, you know, there were a lot of good things, but it's nice to be able to, like, critically look at, like, Liam's behavior and that dark cat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say I... I would recommend it to pretty much a lot of people because it's a standalone, but honestly, I'd recommend it to everyone I know because there is a scene where a woman fights an ape with a sword. <laughs> like, That's fair. You don't have to care about any other part of it. Um, but yeah, so if I'm... Th- you know what? No, that's my whole answer. <laughs> Good. Solid. Cool. Yeah, I... I mean, you all are pointing out that you can read it as standalone, which I think is a very good point, and I hadn't considered in my when I was thinking about this question earlier. But yeah, I think um, I think you all had the right reading order for this. We've discussed that I'm the only one that read the Alana books first, mm-hmm. um, with the notable exception, of course, of Amy. <laughs> Sorry, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, I read Kel first, but only one. You did read first test first, that's true. But I think, you know, I think this is good to read as a prequel. Um, I think, I think it's also like, I know, I know we're a little maybe hesitant to like, certainly the, some of the misogyny and stuff is stuff that maybe you wouldn't want to be um, exposed to as a young kid. But also I think it's questioned enough in this book that I don't think that makes it an issue. I mean, Mm. it's an issue. Obviously, it's something that you would want, you know, you would want to read critically, 
but I think that it's questioned enough in the text that like I wouldn't have the same reservations about giving this to a kid as I would with the other books. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, and right. I mean, like the first, you know, the the previous books in this series each have like such clear and obvious issues that that would make me not want to recommend it. Like, you know, I mean, the the first two have a lot of sort of, like, gender and sexual trauma. Um, and then the third one has, you know, very clear and present race issues. Mm-hmm. And, um, right, this one has things to be critical about, but it doesn't have, like, any single glaring flaw like that. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, every book should be read critically, but yeah. definitely recommend this more widely. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on to Palace Gossip. I have a letter here from um, Tom Trebond, who asked us, or, you know, I know we've already talked about this to some extent, but uh, mentions that um, Tamara Pierce, who he refers to as Tammy, which is people just a thing that mm-hmm. I know people do it. It it just it breaks my brain. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, Tom Trebond says that... Um, Tammy actually said that Robert was bisexual, not gay, and that uh, he posits that um, he's very much one of the characters that contribute to a stigma against non-monosexual people. Um, the books don't make that clear, but it there is uh, specifically a villainous bisexual trope that he very much fills uh, with, you know, femininity in terms of fashion sense and stuff, and then phallic imagery and power plays Mm -hmm. that's what they say um he yeah yeah i think um you definitely see you know like the villainous bisexual trope is really um linked to you know a character type who uses sexuality manipulatively Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and in, in order to accomplish goals and without regard for you know the gender of the person who they are like you know making advances towards so like obviously that sort of stuff is purely subtext here yeah right i mean and right additionally it's all subtext but if you read subtext into his various relationships then he would also fit into the sort of trope or stereotype of bisexuals being promiscuous Mm -hmm. so i think we can pretty clearly point to him being coded as bisexual you know Mm -hmm. especially in this book when we do get the textual reference to him sleeping with Delia. Mm -hmm. Which, I don't know if we've mentioned before that, like, you know, she's more of an out-and-out villain than some of the male characters, but, like, that's also a creepy, manipulative, age-difference relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely is. I think we've mentioned her in talking about the people who Roger surrounds himself with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, right, given that that's actually the only textual sexual relationship that he Mm -hmm. has, definitely a manipulative one. There's a point I don't know what we can exactly draw from this since it's Alana having a dream and we don't know to what extent (laughs) her dreams are based in reality. But Alana has a dream where Roger is like being very, how how would you characterize him? He's being very like, he's kind of like hitting on her or something. Yeah. I mean, he does get kind of flirty with her at points. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I think, I mean, that was something that. I thought kind of played into that. But. Also, uh, this is not really flirting, it's just banter, but I really liked when they uh, 
when they actually met up face to face and she was like, oh, good, we're not pretending that we like each other. <laughs> and she's like, you look pale, not enough time in the sun. And then he's like, you're cocky, aren't you? Killed anyone recently? Oh, <laughs> and she said, no, it's so depressing to come back and find one's work reversed. <laughs> so that was just some really good banter that oh. they did. Man. Yeah. Like, he's good when he's, like, an affable villain, Mm -hmm. but usually he is a manipulative villain and, like, a very, again, queer-coded villain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I mean, I think there's problematic elements to his queer-coding. I think he's a a good villain in general. Mm -hmm. Like, he's creepy and manipulative and that's bad. I wish it wasn't tied up with, you know, the most queer rep that we get in this series. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's more what I mean. Mm -hmm. I mean, because there's nothing inherently wrong with having a queer villain. Okay. Like, let's clear that up. There's nothing inherently wrong with having villains who are queer. Mm -hmm. Um, There is something wrong when that is, as you said, the most queer rep that you get in the large majority of this entire universe. Yeah, and it's historically wrapped up in this idea that we cannot, like, have queer people who have good lives and happy endings because we tie queerness up with morality due to, you know, just our history as a people. Right, well, and and specifically that he's um, word of God bisexual and he uses his, you know, seductive, manipulative bisexuality for his villainy. So he's not just a villain who is queer, but... His queerness is so inherently tied to his villainy. Exactly. Right. So so that it becomes something where you're not sure if if he were a real person in the modern day, would he just would he identify as bisexual or is this a thing he is doing as a tool? Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. like blurriness between that is not a good thing to have in a villain. Not great. As right. Nope. Your closest thing to a queer character on the page. Actually, I think that the thing I said earlier about Liam and Roger and me being like, okay with that is because that is not a that would not be a relationship in which Roger was specifically manipulating someone that would be Mm -hmm. Roger being bisexual for the sake of being bisexual. Does that? That was a weird way to say that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I get what you're saying. I think... Like, I don't really feel the need to parse out how much I ship each of Roger's oh, no. specific relationships because oh, it's no. none for all of them. I am not coming I'm not coming at it from there. I'm just saying that like were there to be a relationship with Roger that was not explicitly related to his villainy, I would be more comfortable with him being a bisexual villain. I don't need to do a ship war. Don't ask me. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Anyway, Tom Trevon, thank you for the question. (laughs) Or the discussion point, I guess. And yeah, I guess I'll also read uh, the people who have interacted with us on Twitter. Thank you for doing that. Thanks to Ziggy T. Schutz, Rebecca SW, Indigo Han, Writer ST McGee, Catherine Zer, Koala Beans, Aquadrop25, uh... I just put us in here also. Yeah, <laughs> Read our names. Read our names. Read our okay. names. Aurora Arborealis, Non-Binosaur, Amy MGOC, Heliological, Alexandra Koch, and Blackness Dyer. Thank you for crediting us for interacting with our own Twitter. So some of those weren't us. <laughs> hey, we were in the notifications. I just wrote down everyone in the notifications. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all of our tweets are really good. They so are. Like, they I'm... are. So you should check them oh, out. totally. And also you should interact with us on Twitter at Tortal Recall or our personal accounts if you want to they were in that list you can find us <laughs> yeah, feel free to become our friends mm-hmm. yeah. yeah become our friends I thrive off of internet friendship mm-hmm. you can also become our friend at our tumblr at 
tortallrecall.tumblr.com, or you can send us an email, tortallrecall at gmail.com, or you can go to our website, tortallrecall.com. <laughs> Uh, or you can look us up on iTunes, where we're called Tortal Recall. <laughs> <laughs> and you can leave us a rating or review. I would say that you can just Google Tortal Recall, but you can't, because you'll just get a bunch of results that are like, did you mean Total Recall? It's so true. I mean, you can, like, if you Google it in quotes, you're probably good. No, probably. I haven't tried that, because I'm not good at technology and computers. Actually, I think it, we're, we're now at the point where if you Google Tortal Recall, it'll say, did you mean... Total Recall, but then it will actually give you our website, oh, nice. so you can go do that. The big time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Recognized by Google. <laughs> <laughs> we should mention that we're planning on taking a little break before we start with the Dane series, Immortals. We're not totally sure what we're going to do for the next episode, but we will let you know Yep. when we know about it. We'll definitely have at least one episode next month. Yeah. Um, in case you were curious, our actual episode release schedule is that we read one book a month, and we release our episodes on the first and third Saturdays of the month, roughly. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll see how this changes, because I, I do think we might hit some books in the future where we need more than two hours to talk about yeah. them. Fair. Or this episode is actually going to be significantly <laughs> over an hour, so <laughs> yeah. more than however long we're taking right now. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think that's about it. Amy, Aurora, someone want to sign us out? Aurora, do, do you have your heart in this? Amy, I believe in you. Okay, wait. See ya, Tortellini. Woo! <laughs> Did a great job. Yes. <laughs>